Welcome back to the Junkyard Dogcast, everybody. I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. With me, as always, Rusty Mansell of Dogs 24-7, Kip Adams of, Rust- of Dogs 24-7, and uh, we're all fresh and back from Nashville. I, I wouldn't say fresh. Yes. I don't think any of us are feeling fresh right now. <laughs> we had a we had a full weekend though, and I think all of us had a lot of fun. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, you know, five six hours on the road today, getting back and and uh, and and dealing with the traffic. Man, there's so many places running the traffic between Athens, Georgia, and uh, or I'd say Winder, Georgia, and Nashville, Tennessee. But uh, meet and greet on Friday, um, guys. I, I'm, I'm going to throw it to you guys first. Uh, Rusty, uh, what was your impression of, of all the people that showed up and, and what we were able to get going at the Valentine? The first sign of this was going to be a little bit bigger than expected was I got there with, with Hoyt and Lowe's a little bit early, around 3. When I get there at 3, there's like no seats available. I was like, wait a minute, this starts at 5. And the owner came up and said, hey, uh, we're not going to open up the other floors right now. We're just going to kind of leave it, uh, you know, the first floor and then up here with you guys. Well, probably about 3.30 or 3.45, uh, the guy came upstairs, the manager, I guess, said, hey, we're calling in extra staff. So I think they realized, and it was funny because I got there and the bartender who was working up top, uh, you know, there was no, he was like, so I came by to drop our banner about 11 a.m. while I was downtown, put our banner up. There was nobody there. I said, hey, man, you, you working tonight? He goes, yeah, I'm getting off at 6. I said, you know we're having a party here tonight. He goes, nobody said one word to me. I said, uh-oh. So it was funny when about 6 o'clock when he's 85 or 100 deep, people trying to get a drink at the bar. I said, you still getting off at 6? And he just kind of rolled his eyes. He said, that'll be a negative. So uh, it was fun, man. Great time. You know, me and Kip talked about it. A lot of things we kind of learned, you know, it just it kind of overwhelms you. It's that it's a lot bigger than you think, and so many different people. It was great. Don't get me wrong. We we're going to do something like that again. And um, Carlos and 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 Hoyt, and those guys, six A, they were great as well. They're, they're great to be a a partner with. I'm sure we'll do that again more in the future. But just fun to meet everybody. And I, I can't remember everybody's name. Uh, but it was fun to get that face, you know, just to face to face talk to those people and, and, and put a put a face with a name. And uh, it was fun, man. It was great. And, and I'm glad everybody that made it. And I know next time we do it, it'd be even bigger. Kip, I know you had a pretty good time. Uh, t- tell us about it. I had too good of a time. Uh, <laughs> I barely made it to kickoff. Who are we kidding here? Um, it, it was great. Uh, you know, I, I love uh, the fact that it was it was a covered rooftop really really that was that was clutch i remember rusty and i were counting the number of ac units on top of these buildings and just wondering you know uh the the power bills sure. these guys are fronting on that but uh it was a great setting uh i mean the georgia fans not just subscribers but the georgia fans took the town over and but it was an outstanding event and and really uh you know it I didn't know what to expect, but we had a lot of people show up that, you know, a lot of subs and, and it was outstanding to, to, to meet a lot of them. I mean, we had former players there, you know, family members of, you know, of the team there. Just it was just a great setting to kick off the season. And, uh, you know, uh, we should have done this a long time ago. And, and so now that we've kind of uh, gotten our feet wet, we know a little bit more what to expect. I think we got to 
you know, we got to start making this a regular thing. And as long as um, as long as we can stay hydrated, I think everything will be fine. I, you know, I've probably uh, drank more water in the last 72 hours than I did, you know, what, the last couple of weeks. But uh, I, I, I thought it was great. And, uh, you know, there was also some football played this weekend as well. So, uh, you know, that's that's what we're here to talk about. And I think, uh, you know, there is plenty to talk about with, with, with this uh, season opener against Vanderbilt. I'll tell you what, the one thing that blew me away was the number of people who came up to talk to me about the podcast. So many people came up, and, and we, we had a guy, he was like, man, you weren't lying, Rusty and Kip are big dudes, and 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 and, and uh, people come up, and I had a couple people come up and say, what's it like to have the number one sports podcast? And I was like, we got we, we got the number one sports podcast? And I'm like, yeah, well, but at some point this week you guys were, and you just just so many people talked about the podcast and, and asked questions from stuff that we discussed on the podcast, remembered one sentence from the podcast, and man, that, that made me feel so good. I mean, that made me feel so happy just to know that the people are out there listening and, and we really appreciate it. I mean, this thing really has taken off for us and the humbling experience for sure. I mean, it's, it's been so much fun and, and uh, something we're, we're definitely growing into. And, and uh, I'm with you guys. I'm, I'm excited about the next time we do this. Already looking forward to it, you know, kind of on my drive home uh, with all that traffic and everything. Got to thinking, like, when will be the next good opportunity? to make something like this happen and and you know like kip pointed out i mean there were probably let's i think the 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 sold out attendance in vanderbilt stadium was somewhere between 40 and forty-one thousand, and there were at the very least 30 to thirty-five thousand georgia fans inside of vanderbilt stadium and i would bet there were 15 20 000 people who didn't get in because it seemed like for every five people i talked to talk to and ask who they were if they were going to the game two or three of them said no nah, i don't have any plans to go to the game we're just here for labor day weekend in nashville and and that was that was incredible jake i was what i would say pre-gaming about two hours before kickoff right down the street and I wind up told a lot of people in there, there was a ton of Georgia fans, Jake, none of those people had tickets. They were just going to watch the game two blocks away. So what you're saying, I'm sure there was a ton of that all over Nashville. Uh, there was so many Georgia fans there without tickets that weren't going but came to Nashville. That's incredible. I mean, it really is. And and really just a testament to to how, how you know, and, and listen, th- this is something that, that Georgia fans have shown the willingness to do over the years. Uh, I know back when Georgia played Arizona State, I think it was 2008, there was a lot of excitement around that team, preseason ranked number one. Uh, those folks went to Tempe, but it just it has gotten revved, revved up another notch. And, and I think all the attention that the, Van, that, the, that the Notre Dame game got a couple years ago, I mean, just the, the stories that were written about that, I think that kind of fueled the fire a little bit. And, and Georgia fans showed up that, you know, LSU fans weren't about to let them take over Death Valley last year, but they, they still showed up. And, and I, there were so many people in New Orleans for that game. Yes, um, they- I mean, just tons. And, and saw a bunch of them when I got to Baton Rouge as well. Uh, but but this fan base is traveling right now, and they're excited, and they're excited about a team that won thirty to six on Saturday. Some seem to be a little bit disappointed with it, and, and we're gonna we're gonna cover both both sides of this whole thing uh, here in a second. But we're gonna start off by talking about kind of what impressed us 
from from Saturday's game. Like I said, thirty to six, Georgia jumps out to a twenty one point nothing, twenty one point lead, twenty one nothing. Scores touchdowns on the first three possessions, and uh, ultimately, uh, I was, I, you know, I'm going to start us off here. That was what impressed me the most was how you know you watch and you watched Alabama go the entire first quarter without scoring against Duke. Uh, you watch, uh, you know, you, you watch some of the craziness that happened on Saturday that we're going to get to towards the end of the show, some of the upsets, some of the teams that just did not look very good, Florida in week zero. There was so much that, that happened this week that you look back and you're just kind of like, man, a lot, of these, a lot of these teams just didn't seem like they were ready to play. Georgia came out ready to play. Now, now did they make some mistakes in the middle of the game and all that stuff? Yeah, but the fact that Georgia was able to go three for three on their first three drives, all of them long drives, all of them extended with some third down plays, they ran the ball well. They threw the ball efficiently. They overcame some mistakes. They overcame some adversity and, and was able to uh, – it didn't quiet the home crowd because there wasn't much of a home crowd, but but they did come out and set the tone. And to me, that was absolutely positively the most impressive part of Georgia's win. And, and you know, sure, would, would it have been more impressive if they had put up, you know, 35 more points in that game? No doubt. But, but the fact that you come out there and go three for three on those first three drives – that was the most impressive part to me. And Kip, I, I wanted to check with you. What what was it that kind of stood out to you? I mean, I like what you're saying there because definitely you got you kind of got the feeling that they those first three drives. I mean, those were the scripted drives. Those are the ones where they wanted to see what they can do, where they mixed it up. And I mean, all all three of those drives, as you said, I mean, they weren't just like three and four play drives they were extended they were eight plays 10 plays seven plays and all three of them were, were over 75 yard drives it was 75 yards 89 yards and 80 yards i completely agree with you on that for me i mean i i kind of liked what i saw from these outside linebackers i mean the front seven in, in general when you can hold an sec team to not just you know less than four yards per play but it was like 3.6 yards per play it, it, you know that that's pretty impressive. And really, I, I, you know, this was our first chance to see Aziz Ojolari and definitely Nolan Smith out there for the first time, just to get to see what they kind of bring to the table. And and so just that outside linebacker group got kind of, uh, you know, having an impact in the game when they needed it, and, you know, in a couple situations. Uh, that's what really impressed me. I thought that, the, that you know, the front seven kind of uh, – you know that the, they sh- showed more than anything uh, on defense. Just the the difference in talent level between the two programs, and and really, you know, prevented uh, Vanderbilt from being able to to do anything they wanted to do offensively. And I think overall, Kirby Smart kind of knew where this game was was headed real early, and uh, you know the the, the tone was set uh, by the end of the first quarter. You know that those outside linebackers, Kip. I, I don't know if you noticed this, but but I definitely did. That that group from from Aziz Ojolari to Adam Anderson, Jermaine Johnson, Nolan Smith, Walter Grant, that group played as hard as any group I saw Saturday. And listen, I know that you got to go out there and you got to play the game, you know, hard. But there were five guys out there at different points in the game that were playing with their hair on fire. I mean, they were uh, some of the pursuit plays made by Aziz Ojolari and, and Nolan Smith. Nolan Smith's first career solo tackle on a third and long. 
uh, was 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 an effort play. I mean, he just he looked like somebody had wound him up and turned him loose, and and he he was going to make the tackle, and and that's just kind of how how his mind was working on that one, and that's what I agree with you there. That that and they really started to they really started to break through in the second half with the pressure. I know Jermaine Johnson lit up the quarterback one time, got a pressure. Aziz Ojolari had a shared sack. Um, you know, Nolan Smith did a really good job. Adam Anderson got his shots in. Uh, Rusty, what was it that, that you and, and you had a chance to watch it in, there live and in person, full speed? What 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 kind of impressed you about it? The bigger picture to me was just looking at Georgia and thinking, man, this this roster is so different now. I mean, when you see those guys padded up in person, um, you know, you talk about. I, I mentioned it today in the ramblings about their third down package when they bring in Nicobe Dean. Adam Anderson, Jermaine Johnson, and Nolan Smith, and they had Trayvon Walker in there also at the defensive tackle. Think about the amount of speed that's on the field. Some of those guys are inexperienced, and they're going to get, <clears throat> they're going to learn. You know, I watched Nolan Smith. I think it was a second play that Nolan Smith was in the game, and they did, they ran a backside reverse to his side, and he was caught over pursuing. You know, chasing the ball inside. You got to keep backside contained. Those are things he's going to learn. But I also look at is how fast he beat the tackle inside his inside uh, leverage there to get into the back. They're so fast in that area. Um, I could talk about a lot of things, but Jake, you'll talk about more. You know the game and film review and all that. But what Jordan Davis does in the middle, we could not write or touch on enough. He absolutely mauled Vanderbilt center all night long. He would push him two yards into the backfield. If it was a run play, no matter what side of the field, they couldn't do anything with him. When he is in the game, and no offense to any any other defensive nose guard Georgia has, that guy, I understand now why he is so valuable because it takes two blockers every play. And if you single block him, you're taking a chance uh, with him destroying your center. Jordan Davis is a flat-out dude. And he's had a ripple effect on on the rest of the defensive line because I also noticed I noticed Michael Barnett playing a, a more physical, better brand of football because he had a couple of plays where he he shoved the center into the quarterback's lap on, on some pass plays that not necessarily he, is he going to get credit for a pressure, but that's the kind of stuff that absolutely affects the quarterback because he can't step up, he can't step into his throw. And and you know forced a couple incompletions there. I mean he he has made a lot of people better. And I thought you know overall I thought the nose tackle position played really well on the defensive line. And that kind of brings me to to my concern. And we're all going to share a quick concern that, that we saw in the game. I thought that that going second quarter and and a little bit early in the third quarter, but they really got it figured out later on. I thought they're at defensive tackle and at defensive end. I thought those guys were getting moved a little bit, and that may have been and that may have had something to do with Vanderbilt uh, addressing some point of attack stuff and maybe doubling to get the play started. I thought it, but I thought it really that and a, a combination of that and the inability to set the edge on those outside runs. Like I said, especially in the second quarter, I thought that was a little concern. It's something that you're definitely going to get fixed and you're definitely going to work on. But but you know the, the inside linebackers weren't able to flow. Uh, you know, Monty Rice and, and Tay Crowder and, and Quay Walker and, and those guys, they, they weren't able to kind of get outside to the stretch play. And Monty Rice told me after the game, he goes, you know, at, at some point during the game, 
we started getting some, and this is coming from Monty, we started getting some knockback at the point of attack is what Monty told me. And, and that was what allowed those guys, because if you think about it, if, if, if a guy gets knocked back and, and a linebacker isn't able to flow straight down the line of scrimmage or maybe take a slightly downhill angle to the ball, he's having to, he's having to lose ground. And when you start looking at a guy running, you know, I don't want to get into to, to uh, vectors and, and calculus and everything else here, but when you think about it, when a guy has to take a 10-degree angle to kind of to get outside the tackles, you know, by the time he runs 30 yards, he's given up four or five yards. And, and those are the type of things you, 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 know, you don't want to see. But they got it corrected as the game went along. But, but overall, I think that's something Georgia's got to do a better job of is, is they're not asking their defensive linemen to, to split double t- or split gaps and fly upfield. They don't want those vertical seams in the, in, in the run game. But they do have to do a better job of, of you know, hitting the, getting the, striking the guy in front of them holding that block, letting those linebackers flow to the football, and then them beating that block and also getting into pursuit. And, and that was my number one concern. Rusty, what would you point to as the, as the one thing that concerns you in the game? Yeah, definitely could agree with that. And that made, that's, you know, great points there. I think not concerned. I'm just kind of questioning were they really vanilla on defense at times because you didn't see a lot of what I would call exotic blitzes. You know, they did the – Delayed inside blitz with Channing Tindall on third down there in the second half uh, when Aziz beat his guy, but Channing came free up the middle. And those are a lot of things you would see out of Roquan back in the day, and not just because it was Roquan, but everything was dialed up just right, and he was able to go. I didn't see Georgia bringing a ton of heat, um, and I'm wor- I'm not worried. I'm just saying, were they being uh, vanilla on defense and not showing a ton, thinking they can just man up and beat you? Uh, straight up at the game, and I really want to see if Georgia can create pressure. Let's see the next couple of weeks. That's kind of a thing. When you took DeAndre Walker out of the mix last year, Georgia struggled with a little bit, and that was replacing uh, Lorenzo Carter and Davin Bellamy, those pressures those guys would have. I certainly am impressed with Aziz Ojalara. We've all heard things about him in the fall, and I thought he lived up to every bit of the hype there. I want to see the next guy. Can Nolan Smith, who played second string, can Nolan Smith be that guy? I will say this. When they brought Adam Anderson in on the third down package, they never blitzed him. They would always show blitz, but he would drop back into that. He had the flat area. And I will say this, Jake, when you watch the tape in the second half, when Vandy's going to the opposite end of the scoreboard, uh, it's a big third down play. I want you to watch Adam Anderson redirect the slot wide receiver. He knocks this kid off his feet just on a jam alone. He was showing blitz, but he dropped in coverage. When the, run, when the wide receiver tried to stem him, Adam just knocked him completely off his feet. And that's what you want to see out of these big athletic dudes. So I'm getting to the point, is Georgia not showing things? Or is there maybe a little bit of a sign when you go past Aziz Ojolari, they're going to need somebody to step up? That's what I'm questioning after week one on defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I noticed that that Adam a couple times, he, he kind of – did that delayed thing wasn't necessarily a blitz but when the quarterback would break the pocket he would kind of fly up and and keep him in it and and that's where he kind of got his shots in but yeah definitely they 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 like the way he plays in space on third down and they like having that extra set of legs on the field fresh legs to to run after the quarterback kip was there anything that stood out to you as as a potential concern well i have to say that looking at the interior offensive line you know that 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 kind of 
it didn't see what I thought I would see from those guys. I mean, we thought that that's where the biggest talent gap would be in this game. And I mean, in the run game, I mean, we just spent all this time talking about this game. We didn't mention the fact that Georgia ran for well over 300 yards, average over eight yards a carry. I guess we're at that point where we just kind of, you know, expect Georgia to be able to establish that run that is has been their identity since Kirby Smart came on as head coach. And he definitely has said, you know, if we can establish that run, it, it opens up, you know, the rest of the offense. And once they knew they could do that, in the game why why change that but you know in the past the passing game i saw you know jake did you know there's, there aren't sack totals for vanderbilt he didn't get you know knocked down a bunch he, but he did, he did get popped a couple times and you did see that over the course of the game where you know whether it's solomon kinley or cade mays and then you know trey hill trey hill had a couple plays where you know he 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 let Jake got his bell rung, you know, and, and definitely the play. He ended up having to th- get rid of the ball a lot quicker than he wanted to, because you know Trey had a couple snaps where he he got knocked back a little bit, and and and, and one time he you know just made uh, made the wrong assignment and completely missed this guy. That you know Vanderbilt started using some twists and stunts, and it kind of got to him a little bit there. That kind of you know that's something that I wouldn't say concern, but it definitely gives. Kirby Smart, some, you know, a teaching opportunity and, and you know, something that, that he gets to take on film into next week and, and work with those guys. And it, it's, it's interesting because, I mean, Cade Mays, outstanding run blocker, and, and Solomon Kinley, definitely strong in that area. It kind of reminded me, one, a healthy Andrew Thomas. It just shows the type of talent that he has because he's just so equally strong in, in pass pro and run blocking. He's just you, you know he's he's great at both. And then you know again when he's healthy, Ben Cleveland, probably the best pass protector on the team and one of the best ones I've I've seen at Georgia. It's just it's it's a credit to him and his athleticism, what what he's able to do with his feet and obviously his size. But when he's in the game, it's 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 just a, a different level a pass pro. It's it's interesting if you could take if you could take Ben as a pass protector and and and, and Cade Mays as a run blocker and kind of combine them into one guy. Uh, you know you might have an All American just right there with the with that skill set. They each just kind of that's their strength right now. It's just interesting whenever you see those guys rotate in. You know how how that aspect of the game changes uh, in, in both styles of football. But that, that's kind of what. You know, caught my eye is is the Vanderbilt's defensive line. I mean, no offense to them at all, but I don't think that's going to be the most talented front that Georgia faces this year. So it's something that they can go back and work on trying to clean up and, and, and getting better as the season progresses. But like I said earlier, those first three series, I mean, when they went through the what what I think is is what they wanted to do and and, and testing what they can do in, in that playbook. I mean, overall, pretty impressive. Just definitely some things to, to clean up in pass protection and, and something that uh, I think Trey Hill can definitely work on uh, over the course of the season as he gets more experience. And, I mean, they had a pretty stabilizing force at, at, at center last season in Lamont Gellard, a guy that, that played a lot of football at Georgia. And now, you know, now they're, they're breaking in a younger player now a guy with a lot of talent, but a guy that definitely needs to continue to get those snaps and, and, and master his craft more. 
Yeah, I, I thought I knew going in, and I highlighted it as one of my key matchups going in that Derek Mason's Derek Mason's a brilliant defensive mind. I don't think anybody would argue with that, and and he's really good at dialing up pressures, uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean he's got to send five or six guys. He twists and turns and and gets creative in there. The, the guy got guys in there setting picks for one another, and they confuse Georgia some there too. You've also got the short yardage situations that I don't think it's time to start sounding the alarms. They they had a couple they converted too, but a couple they didn't get, and and you know that's something that they're gonna have to do a better job of in the future. And and I think that's something with Trey Hill, and and I know you kind of hit on this too, but that's something I think just experience is is gonna be the is gonna be the medicine there. It's gonna be the experience and knowing uh, what he's got to do and, and when he's got to do it. And, and all of those things are going to make him a much, much better player because Lamont Gilliard was not the same player in 2016 that he was in 2017 or 18. And, and Hill's going to have that opportunity to grow as well. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, let's move on real quick, and and let's talk about... uh, the the guys that the, the guys that we noticed the guys that jumped out at us and and um you know I don't just want to stick to to just one guy here um we're gonna go we're gonna I want to talk about uh, one guy just in general and then a then a freshman because Georgia traveled eleven freshmen to the first game of the season you, you talk you want to talk about uh, you know kind of a surprise in this game okay Georgia has signed you know the number three the number one and the number two recruiting classes in the nation and then you know one rough you know almost one sixth of the roster the travel roster for this game is is made up of true freshmen which is it blows your mind it just shows you how good that number two class was but but we'll start with with uh, uh, somebody who's not a true freshman uh here and 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 rusty what was who was one guy out of that group out of the guys that have played at georgia before red shirt freshman up that that caught your eye that jumped out at you you know, I think we could all probably agree Aziza Delore was a guy, so I'll pass on him, you know, just coming back from an injury and that type of thing. I, I will say that <clears throat> I got a chance just for whatever reason, he was kind of on my side of the field most of the night where I was sitting. I got a chance to watch DJ Daniels, and, and, and he's a junior college transfer, so I'm going to kind of throw you for a little loop there. Uh, man, he, he is springy. You can tell he's fast. He's longer than I kind of thought he was in person with arms and, and wingspan. And I can see why he's pushing Tyson Campbell at that other corner opposite of Eric Stokes. I mean, that was my first good look at him. And I'm telling you, I was impressed with him. And uh, there was very little of, to any separation. I got a chance, and TV doesn't give you the whole picture, but I, 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 got, I found myself watching him when he was in and five, six, seven, eight plays and man, he blankets a receiver. I, I, you know, I, I'm real interested in how that goes, you know, the next couple of weeks to the, to the rest of the season, because that's not something where Kirby smart is trying to motivate somebody. 
that is a true, true uh, position battle going on right now between a junior college transfer and a former five-star cornerback out of high school in Tyson Campbell. Very, very interesting that. But DJ Daniel, uh, I'm telling you now, he, he played well. You know, I ran into a, a guy I talked with up at the Bud Smear building probably three weeks ago. It was about midway through preseason camp, Rusty. And, uh, you know, I, I had gone to DJ Daniels High School. It was the same day I covered Trayvon Walker's commitment announcement, and I, I swung over to Milledgeville to spend a little time with DJ Daniel. And, and I just kind of bumped into the guy because I know he spends a lot of time out there practicing. And I said, uh, hey, how, how's my guy DJ Daniel doing? You know, because you, you, you get to know these guys. You get to like them, and it's just kind of how it works. And, and, and the first thing he said was feisty. He is, he's feisty. I mean, he's, he is a guy who he's just, he's got a little bit of an attitude to him. He's got a little bit of energy to him. And you saw that like his first, one of his first couple plays, he made a tackle and he come up from there like no Sean Marino used to after a run and, and started, you know, it it wasn't like in a showboating way. It was just like, I, I got it. I got one. You know, it was like me after I shot a deer. You know, it was just there was excitement there, and and you know that's that's the player he is. That's where he comes from, and he's a very laid back kid off the field. But I definitely see what you're talking about there for sure. Kip, was there anybody that, that jumped out to you while, while you were watching this game? A couple guys, well, uh, one on each side of the ball. You know, I'm going to start on defense. Defensive lineman Devonte Wyatt, you know, a guy that I've mentioned. We've talked about him a little bit before. I think he's a guy that kind of gives them a little bit of a a disruptor in that in that defensive front and, and you know I kind of saw it out there he had probably five six times where he was affecting the quarterback and again we continue to mention that when Kirby Smart stresses the havoc plays it's not always the sacks you know it's not always the the big tackle for loss or, or you know a, a fumble forced or, or a pick it's 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 affecting the quarterback and and forcing them to you know to have to improvise and to to not do what they're wanting to do uh, on offense and and that, and that includes the run game as well i mean if if you're taking away that run rushing lane you know either whether it's you know funnel them in inside or or you know just taking away a gap it's it's still doing what he wants to do defensively. And, you know, I liked what I saw from Devontae White. He, again, he was in the backfield. He was beating his man, you know, more often than not. And and, and that really – you talk about what Jordan Davis can do, taking on multiple blockers. Uh, that really makes – you know, it gives Devontae White a chance to, to really make an impact back there. And I thought he did a pretty good job taking advantage of that and, and helping Georgia be able to stay – you know, if they were vanilla on defense and not have to send, you know, guys into the backfield. So I liked what I saw from him on defense. I think, you know, you have those two guys. Tyler Clark played well, you know, well, too. So yeah, the, those those guys look pretty good in the opener. And then, you know, another guy on the offensive side of the ball, and guy we've mentioned a lot on the show, a guy we were wanting to see, Demetrius Robertson looked good out there. You know, he, he had – he. The, we made as many jokes as we want to make about him not having a catch last year. I mean, the first catch was impressive, and, and he had another big play that got called back. I mean, he was going to have over 100 yards of offense in this game if it weren't for a penalty. I, I was impressed with what I saw him out there, and he did a good job uh, holding, you know, holding the outside corner as a run blocker as well. So, I mean, for me, he might not 
have been the offensive MVP because of what they did in the run game, but he showed exactly what you wanted to see from him uh, heading into year two in this program, and 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 that's got to be really encouraging for James Coley, the you know the entire offense moving forward. You know, I look back and and when I when I what stood out to me was I look back at the last two years and I've continually asked myself the question: Matt Landers is six foot five close to 200 pounds, uh, probably over 200 pounds now. The kid never played special teams his first two years. He, he didn't catch a pass. He had some drops at G-Day. But my question always went back to the special teams is, why? Why is this kid not playing special teams? Well, he's playing them now. And some of the things he did on Saturday, like, I, you know, I was worried that that, that, that the Tennessee State Patrol was going to come out there and cuff him on a couple of those uh, on a couple of those uh, punt returns because he he had his guy he was blocking the gunner and he was being he was jerking him around like a rag doll I mean it was it was it was really physical a couple of times and Kirby Smart I, I thought it was interesting because Kirby that's one of the first things he brought up in the post game was how dominant Demetrius Robertson and Matt Landers were on special teams and and that that, that was something that caught my eye the first time they punted was was Matt Landers just 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 railing this guy. I mean, he, he was taking, he was, he was giving him the business and, and I, I just thought it was really impressive. And, and for a guy that hadn't done it for the first two years, I think it's a cautionary tale though, because I think it needs to tell some fans out there and some people out there that, that want to put the stopwatch on some of these kids that it sometimes it just takes a little time. It takes a little time for them to grow into their frame. It takes some time for them to get, gain some confidence. It takes some time for them to learn some technique and, and adjust the speed of the game. And Matt Landers has done that. He, he came in, and he had a couple catches, too, and won him some pretty tight coverage and, and did a good job there, caught, caught everything thrown his way. But, but it was the way he played on special teams, the physicality, the willingness to get out there and do it and do it in a dominant way that, that I th- think is going to really help him in the future. I, I really do think that, that he, he is trending up as a football player, and, and you like to see that. You like to see a guy who, who, who you know, waited for his opportunity and, and the door flung wide open this year with all the guys that left and, and the dismissal of Jeremiah Holloman. And, and he seems to be taking advantage, not, and not just in one area, not just in a glory area where he's going to get a lot of credit for catching passes, but, but when it comes to playing special teams, uh, he, was, he was a force there. Demetrius Robertson was too, and he deserves a lot of credit as well. But, but Matt Landers really jumped out at me a couple times there, and, and uh, I thought that was impressive. And I think that is going to allow – Georgia to leave Tyler Simmons in that punt return role where he looked really comfortable catching the you know catching the football on those punts. It's one of the first things you look for, and and you know this may be a little bit inside baseball or whatever, but one of the first things you look for in a guy that has to field your punts is how natural does he look? Does does he make it look easy? Because the guy who makes it look easy is the guy that's going to catch a lot of them. It means he's judging the ball well. He's caught enough of them that that he can almost do it with his eyes closed, and uh, and he does that, and and he does a really good job of it. Uh, Freshman, let's jump into the freshman real quick. Uh, I want to say nine of, of the true freshmen, maybe eight of the true freshmen, actually got to play significant minutes. So we don't have a huge pool to pull from here. But Kip, who who is the true freshman who stood out most to you? And I got a feeling you're going to steal mine. Low hanging fruit, baby. I will never, never turn down an opportunity to to take that low hanging fruit. I, I mean, Nolan Smith. Uh, he was a guy that, again, I said I wanted to see going into this game and. The you know he he showed some explosiveness out there. That first step 
we saw it in high school. We, we knew he was a freak athlete, but I mean, he, he gave them problems a couple times and, and, and really you got in there and, and, and made his presence known back there. But, but also, I mean, he showed he could, he could hold up on the edge more often than not. I think what I really took away from that game is that Nolan Smith's earned more snaps moving forward. I think that he is going to become a regular in that rotation and, and, and he, he impressed me a lot. That's some, I mean, we, we talk about this group, and we know Aziz Ojolari is set up for potentially to, to have a big year. We're very high on him. When we talk about some of these other guys in this group, I think that Nolan Smith is a guy that's going to be in that, that top three moving forward and, and until, uh, you know, until he shows them a reason why he shouldn't be on the field. And so for him, for me, that was a guy that stood out to me. I think it was, it was pretty easy. Just, you know, the, the casual glance that, that, that guy is, is different than the, the most, uh, prospects that, that play his position, especially as a true freshman. Rusty Kip didn't steal mine, but you're probably going to, who you got? I got uh, Trayvon Walker, man. Yeah, and, yeah, there you go. You, you <laughs> stole him. You stole him. And I'm still going to talk about Trayvon Walker. I don't care what you say. You know, it's second because you're, you're there. And, you know, and, and I was like, who's, who's 44 in here looking? 44 looks good. And I was thinking, well, damn, that's Trayvon Walker. First. And it took me a second after about two plays. But just watching him and the thing that, that, the, the thing that impressed me George is such a gap control defensive line. You know, they're not a uh, get up the field aggressive type. They're control your gap, stop the run. Uh, what you talked about earlier, let these linebackers kind of flow. The initial punch from Trayvon Walker, holy crap. I mean, he was lifting at times. Uh, he would completely turn the shoulders of the offensive lineman and stay in his gap. So he was doing what he was supposed to do. But I'm thinking, man, this kid uh, – is so athletic, and, and and I didn't know he was really that strong like that because, you know, we all kind of pictured him uh, as a Ledbetter type coming off the edge a little bit, maybe stand up every now and then. This dude's down in the three technique, inside four, four eye, that type of stuff yesterday in an SEC football game and controlling gaps. So I tell you, man, the sky's the limit. I know Barton Simmons, that's his guy. Barton Simmons loves him. You know, I put it in Ramblin' today. There was about 24 hours last year when Barton Simmons was going to make Trayvon Walker number one player in the country. And it went back and forth a little while. I think Barton had him third in the country. So, I mean, he is an athletic dude. And, and, and what I saw yesterday, Georgia fans should be very, very happy about Trayvon Walker because he, he is going to be very, very good for Georgia if that's what he's uh, bringing in game one. Rusty, they had him on the kickoff team. No, isn't that crazy? They had him on the kick. Like the first thing I saw – when I saw 44 running down the field on the kickoff team, as I was thinking to myself, it's kind of like baseball when when one when a power hitter comes up and they say take all the married men off the infield. I was like, I hope nobody on Vanderbilt's kickoff team, kick return team, is married or has kids, because I mean you've got a you've got a six five two hundred and at the very least, let's say he let's say he you know really ran a lot this week and weighs two hundred seventy five pounds. <clears throat> I mean. That's a massive human being running down the field at full speed. Nobody wants to get in front of that. Nobody wants to try and block that or try to knock him off his path or, or get him out of his lane. And, I mean, that, that's just a testament to how athletic he is. And, you know, I, I, I was big. I was high on, on Trayvon Walker during the process. Maybe not quite as high as, as Barton, but you could just tell that the, 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 uh, 
that the potential was there. And then I went to, to his commitment announcement. I stood next to him. And Aziz Ojolari fits into this, uh, fits into this mold as well. There are some guys that they're no bigger than, than what, I mean, nobody's bigger than what they are, but they feel that way. They seem that way. Like you stand next to him. You're like, I had no idea looking at you across the room that you are as big of a person as you are. And Trayvon Walker fits that bill. Like when you stand up next to him, you're like, man, this is a really big kid. He carries every pound that that he that he has extremely well. And I, you know, I, I'm with you there. I think the sky's the limit. Um, you know, I don't think he had a dominant game or anything like that. But I saw some of the things you saw with the physicality and and the and the and the punch and the. Uh, it, a lot of times, it's not just how much you can bench press or how much you can incline or. Or whatever you can push push around. It's how coordinated are you? How you know? How can you sink your hips with the extension of your hands and and do those things? And that's how much force you can generate. Um, you know, I I heard Kirk Olavadotti talking to some inside linebackers one time, and he talked about for one for one uh, inch of hip flex that you can create, uh, it, it generates it it generates a uh, hundred pounds of force. Well. Trayvon Walker's a flexible kid. He can bend, and 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 the hip flex is probably some of his you know high, biggest quality there. And and he's a guy that that he's going to create a lot of movement at the point of attack, and he's going to bruise a lot of dudes up, and he's going to make a lot of dudes sleep well at night uh, after they play him. Not maybe not before they play him, before his career's over with, because he's he's that talented. We, we, we want to move into the craziness that happened on Saturday, but before we do that, I, I mean. We didn't really have this in the plan, but it just kind of hit me because we haven't talked about it yet. I mean, we can't go, we can't do a show without talking about Zamir White. I mean, we can't do a show without talking about the fan reaction, the 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 fumble, which was I thought kind of hilarious because you you could obviously tell Zamir was smelling it, like he thought he had it, and and the ball kind of flipped. I mean, you just knew that oh. he got it. He got really excited. But I mean, guys, what I mean, Rusty, what what did you I mean, what, what was it like hearing the Zeus chants and the and the roar that he got when he left the field and and all that? I mean, just to see a kid come back from that, that's a pretty cool moment. Yeah. And, and I was sitting around a big group of people, there's four or five ladies behind me. And one of them turned to me and said, why are they booing? I said, they're not booing. I said, they're saying Zeus. And, and then it's like the light cut on for everybody in my section. They were like, oh, you know, and I had a chance after the game. It was, it was weird. I'm coming down the steps, uh, and I come underneath the bleachers, and I see Del McGee's wife, who, who I, I know, Coach McGee, and I know who she is. She may not know who I am, but I know who she is. And I watched her come up to Zamir White's mom, and they hugged. And, man, I'm telling you something. If you don't know the story about Zamir, you know, she had him at 14 – you know, Zamir weighed one point what seven pounds or whatever. He's in, you know he's in NICU unit for a hundred days. Can you imagine what she felt like seeing her son and what they've been through and what he's been through uh, to get those carries and to hear a freaking stadium chanting your kid's name? I mean, man, it was that. That's I don't care who you're a fan of. That was something else and um, great, great moment. But but. I know that feeling. You look at I, I happened to be running down the sidelines one time way back when, and I'm thinking I'm about to score. And next thing you know, both of your knees are gathering. You're looking at the sky. So I know what Zamir White. I could just see it in his face. He broke through. This got to the second level, put a move on a guy, and and it was about to be gone. Great play by the Vanderbilt defensive back to punch it out. 
because uh, he, he, I looked today, you know, he had the ball kind of tucked. Gaddis made a good punch. But one quick comment, and I'll end on Zamir. He looked so comfortable running the ball. Did he not look comfortable and very patient? And he's got quick feet uh, for a guy that size. I don't want to get into all this Chubb stuff, but that's the way Chubb ran when he did things. The same thing I thought. You know what I mean? I was like, wow. I mean, this guy, this is very, very, very good news for Georgia that this is where he is in game one. Kid, what did you think? You had a beat on his recruitment and, and kind of got to know him a little bit through during his recruitment. What did what were your thoughts and seeing him get the trot out there and, and get his feet wet? It was the moment of the game when he came out there, you know, and, and the, just to have the, you know, again, we know how Georgia traveled to this game, but still to have an, you know, an SEC road game and, and, and to have that, you know, just that kind of atmosphere and, and to have everyone immediately react. You could tell this fan base has been waiting to see him on the field and, and, and they gave him, you know, just, just that welcome. But yeah, seeing him come back and then, you know, he he made defenders miss on like back to back runs, you know, forcing missed tackles. And I have to guess that, you know, I don't know the numbers, but it, close to half of his yards were after contact. And that's really I mean, that's really has to be, you know, just very encouraging, not just, uh, you know, the coaching staff, you know, their confidence in him, but just him, you know, to come back from the back-to-back knee injuries and be able to have, you know, that type of running style and and to, uh, to get yards after contact like that, you know, you do it in practice. You think you got a pretty good chance because you're going up against Georgia defenders, but till you get into that game, you don't know, you know, he's had to wait so long to, to, to do that. And, and to see him out there, you know, he's a different, you can tell the difference. I mean, again, DeAndre Swift out there, outstanding player. James Cook, I mean, really brings that element to the passing game. I mean, he, he might as well be another receiver out there. He's just he's got great hands. But w- when Zamir was out there, you could just tell that this is a player who, you know, if he's able to stay healthy, can, can really do, you know, something. I don't want to say special, but he can be highly productive in this offense and be someone that, that you know, they can depend on toward the end of the season when they really get into that, that you know, that grind, that November gauntlet that they they have set up for. I mean, that's when a guy like Samir White's really going to come in handy. And you got to really like what you saw from, the you know, on, on Saturday, knowing him and covering his recruitment. It, you know, I know that the family, the, that coaching staff at Scotland High School, it's it, they've all been rooting for him to be able to get on the field. And, and he had a long road to get there. Uh, the you got to give credit to the the Georgia you know that medical staff Ron Corson and all of them just the job that they've been able to do to help him get to where he is now credit to those guys because he looks like he looks like to me what we saw in high school and I tell you what uh, you may want to stop short of special but if he gets back to that point he's going to do something special at Georgia because he's he's just that talented. I mean, I, I think we've all probably said it at one point or another, but just what he did at the high school level was something you just don't see every day. And, uh, you know, I'm a big softy when it comes to stuff like this. And, and you know, I, I love stories like that. And, you know, coming back from ACL tears on both knees at such a young age, all that adversity. But, heck, I mean, when, when I heard 
and 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 we were able to hear a little bit of the telecast in the press box uh, when they talked about Zamir's health issues as a kid. I mean, what he's coming back from now is minor because uh, I, I know this. Uh, you know, when you when you deal with with something like that and you fight through that kind of adversity early on, that's that's special. And and he and he's he's a special kid, special player, and and you can tell that by all the all the people rooting for him, all the teammates and coaches, because they're all pulling hard for the kid. All right, guys, real quick, wrapping up the show. What about the most insane opening weekend of college football that I think I've ever seen? And the SEC East just absolutely laying an egg. Uh, what were your thoughts on it, Kip? I'm still in shock at what happened in Knoxville. I mean, it it's – I hadn't seen anything like that. I know that that program, you know, this this century really hasn't been where, where it was. I just didn't expect to see Georgia State hang with them in the second half and, and really that, you know, see their quarterback make defenders miss, you know, as many times as he did. The, the talent level should have been apparent early in that game. They should have been able to just – out athletic uh, that team and, and it just didn't happen you know def- it looked like they they didn't they did not look like you know that they they wanted it i mean georgia state just it's a difference you can want it more and still the talent should be able to to, to take care of you know uh, enough for you to eke out a win and it just did not happen and so uh, you know that that one really you know, caught me off guard there because I thought year two, you know, Jeremy Pruitt's program has they 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 got you know some pretty talented players across the board there, pretty young but still, and you know you had some outstanding wide receivers uh, for them to throw to, and and it just didn't it didn't materialize. You know, you didn't see what we thought we were going to see uh, offensively, and then again the tackling issues. So. That one really caught my eye. I mean, like you said, there were a lot of different games that a lot of teams uh, found out a lot about, you know, the, the press clippings didn't really match up with, with what they did in the field. I think a lot of teams thought they won, you know, the moment they got on the field and it didn't happen. Uh, and definitely it feels like that's the case right now in Tennessee. And now they got to come back and, and play a pretty good BYU team. And, and, and so you, now you look at that game and it, it's not a gimme. I mean, that – I, I, I haven't looked at any lines or anything, but I'm going to imagine it's less than five. And and I, I think that, uh, that that's a game that's going to be close to a, 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 probably a gimme. I mean, it's going to be a it's going to be really interesting to see how they bounce back at home against a, a team that I think is a lot better than Georgia State. I think you said I think you meant pick them instead of gimme there. Oh. Uh, but yeah, yeah, definitely not going to be a gimme. Uh, and and I wouldn't shock me if BYU's favored. To be honest with you, uh, after after that game, Rusty, I'm I'm sure you've got some thoughts on that game. Um, shocking, you know. I I, I was not watching it at first, and Kip had sent me a text and, "Hey, man, uh, this is 21 to 20," and I was trying to get to the area we were going to set up and watch a kind of pregame. And once I was able to see it, you know, look, all respect to Sean and Elliot and his team at Georgia State and to be able to pull a win off like that. But, man, that they're, they're, they should play 100 times and never beat Tennessee. Never beat Tennessee. 
And, um, you know, where is this team going to go from here? Uh, what kind of quarterback play are they going to get? I don't care what your opinion is. I think we would all agree that Jim Chaney is a good play caller. Is he a great play caller? I, I don't know. Uh, I think he did a great job at Georgia at times, so I will say that. But right now, I don't know what direction they're going. Defensively, they look kind of – which is the biggest surprise to me. They look – they got out-schemed at times. There was, you know, seemed to be guys open and the missed tackles and different angles. And uh, just where are they at? But I tell you, the bigger picture for somebody like South Carolina and somebody like Tennessee – They've done a pretty good job of recruiting. They've done a pretty good job in the offseason. I know tomorrow, if not today, me and Kip are both going to get questions on Marshawn Lloyd. I know South Carolina lost a, a Lavoisier Carroll, one of the top running backs in the 2021 class, decommitted on uh, earlier today. So I, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but those types of things don't help you at all on the recruiting trail. So they've got to not only figure it out, they got to figure it out quick because this thing could snowball on you. South Carolina's schedule is murderer's row. They got the toughest schedule in the country, in my opinion. And then they lost the first game of the year to North Carolina, a team that won two games last year. So they've got to get it figured out, and Tennessee has definitely got it. This BYU game is going to be very interesting how Tennessee rebounds because – I, I I just I can't explain it. I don't think any one of us, any three of us, could explain losing to Georgia State ever. No, and and not losing in that fashion. I mean, they got beat. I mean, that wasn't like that wasn't like. Well, they got it corrected late, and and they outplayed them in the second half, and then a couple things broke against them, and they lost. Got got a field goal kicked or block kick or a bad penalty. I mean, they just got beat. I mean, they. Georgia State made every single play they needed to win that game. That that actually looked like Tennessee should look against a, a solid SEC team, and and they you know they they just they got knocked around a little bit. And and Sean Elliott said it in the interview after the game. I thought he nailed it. You know, I was most surprised by the Missouri game because people actually expected Missouri to be really good. I expected Missouri to be pretty good. I know I, I listened to a lot of talk radio, and, and I heard a lot of people this year say, you know, listen, you, you want to know who's going to try to challenge Georgia in the East? Watch out for Missouri. Well, I mean, first of all, and I've got to steal from Kip here because he and I were together while, while watching the, the, the highlights of this. Kip, got, <laughs> Kip said, who in the hell signed a home and home for Missouri and Wyoming, first of all? Why in the heck is, is Missouri going to Laramie? And and so that was that, but they took over that game and and really slapped Missouri around. And all of a sudden, you start to look at Georgia's schedule. And listen, I don't think anybody expects any 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 three of these teams to lay down. Barry Odom, Will Muschamp, Jeremy Pruitt, they're all competitors. They've all got a lot of pride, and and they're going to circle the wagons and 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 get something going. But the SEC East is looking a lot more. You know, exposable maybe than than we even thought to start the season when Georgia was named a heavy favorite by the SEC uh, uh, by the SEC media at SEC media days. So, um, you know, Georgia's got one SEC win and SEC East win in the book. I think that's overall. I want to say is that that's thirteen straight dating back to to Georgia beating Kentucky at the end of the twenty sixteen season. So um, th- there's a good chance we're looking back at the end of this year after. After what has happened, and and Georgia's going to have themselves a uh, 
But, oh, actually, maybe it's 14 straight now. It is. It's 14 straight. So, uh, you know, there's a chance looking back at the end of the season, and, and Georgia's got 19 straight wins against the SEC East and a, and a three-year three, three undefeated streak there. So, uh, i tell you what, man, I was really surprised by that. I know Kentucky had to kind of, kind of, you know, circle the wagons in game to win their game, but um, not a good look. For sure. I mean, I know the North Carolina game is what it is, but you know, Mac Brown probably had those guys a little ready to play. But man, it was uh, it was ugly, and and you know, we'll see how everybody kind of responds to it because, like you said, that's going to be the key. Those are in the books, and that's what these staffs are preaching. Preaching, but um, Georgia's absolutely the class of the SEC East now, and 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 you know, we'll we'll see how it plays out. That's all the time we've got for today. We'll be back with you guys later this week. Georgia kicks off practice on Monday. Whoa, whoa, Getting whoa, ready whoa. for Murray State. What we got? What we got? Got a quick one. Monday Labor Day. Thirty seconds. Kip, what you got on the grill? I got a twelve pound brisket that's going to be going in. Uh, probably first thing, first second I get up. That'll be the only thing that uh, I'm up during that hour for. Uh, but uh, it's brisket's going on the smoker at eleven a.m. Everybody. There you go. That's all we need to I just need to know what's on the menu for Monday. We're good, Jake. You can wrap this up. And Kip, see some pictures on the thread, my man. What's, you, what's on the grill for you, man? Tomorrow? Yeah. I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to be <laughs> <laughs> Nashville put me in a double headlock like like 1989 Dusty Roads. I'm talking about I'm hurting. So no grilling tomorrow. I'm hopefully I'm Hey, we'll see what we'll see what. We'll see what Georgia Sports Info has to feed us tomorrow because I'm going to be out there covering media day. Georgia will have its uh, Georgia have its first practice for Murray State, and uh, we'll have that covered for you. Bulldogs are going to dedicate the field to uh, Jim, uh, to Vince Dooley uh, this weekend, so that'll be a lot of fun, and, and it'll be game two. And uh, we're we're getting ever so close to that uh, Georgia Notre Dame game, just a couple two or three weeks away now, and. And that's going to be a hot ticket. Athens is going to be on fire. We're going to have a lot of shows between here and then. But for now, I'm Jake Rowe, Dogs 24-7. Kip Adams and Rusty Mansell, Dogs 24-7. This has been the Junkyard Dogcast, and you guys take care. <laughs>